Now, in my experience, growth usually comes from a source of pain or discomfort, which pushes you to try something new or interrupt an old behavior simply because you come to realize that the pain of remaining the same, of remaining who you are and where you are, is far greater than the discomfort it's going to take for you to change and try something new. My intention for this show is to inspire growth within you. So if you want to familiarize yourself with the journey many have taken to drastically change their lives, this is the place to be. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Grow With Muin podcast. I am your host, Muin Zafar, and today I have with me an emergency management professional, Yunus Imam, who has a bachelor's degree in political science and a master's degree in disaster and emergency management. He's responsible for incident management for a major financial institution in Canada. He is the VP of the Salam Project, where he works with police officers, and he develops and delivers security, crisis management, and hate crime prevention training modules to a variety of clientele, including government, NGO, and educational sectors. Yunus, welcome to the show. Assalamu alaikum, uh, brother Moyne. Uh, nice, nice to you know meet you. Uh, it's uh, been a long time, actually. Yeah, it's been a long time. It's uh, it's a pleasure having you here, and uh, thank you for coming on the show, man. Yeah, I- I'm always happy to help. It's a bit, it's been a week. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, a busy week for you for sure. But we'll we'll get to what's going on uh, around in a bit. But I want to get to your personal story first. What sort of uh, drove you to pursue a master's degree in disaster and emergency management after uh, having graduated with a bachelor's in political science? So, you know, I was in school and uh, one of the things about political science is that you learn um, a lot about the problems of the world, right? And Mm -hmm. you become very cognizant of what's going on. And, uh, you know, there's almost a sense of uh, unbelievable desperation, right? That, uh, you draw upon where, you know, there's just so many things that you see that are going wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happens is that you, you know, you have these sorts of thoughts like, you know, what can I do? And you feel hopeless, right? And, you know, this, uh, actually, my father advised me to, uh, you know, take a look at this, right? Uh, it basically just, uh, you know, he, he said that, you know, it looked pretty interesting. And uh, yeah, it was uh, essentially, I just applied and I had a lot of volunteer experience. I had spent a lot of time during university volunteering and working uh, not just to obviously help my family out, but also to, uh, you know, provide help to other people because I, I really enjoyed it. I was involved with, a, you know, Syrian refugee relief when families came here to Canada. And uh, mm. I really loved every aspect of that. And, uh, yeah, and what, uh, so I basically applied and uh, I, got, uh, it, I, I got involved uh, in this whole field. And it was amazing. Uh, it's, been, it's been an amazing experience so far. And I, I've really enjoyed everything that I do. So uh, just a very brief thing of what happened that when I was in my master's degree on January 29th, 2017, we had, I, I, I believe that's the right date, we had the Quebec City shooting. And obviously everybody was in horror, everybody was scared. And uh, I realized that, oh, wait, um, you know, I actually just got trained on all these things because my professor, had, uh, you know, one of my professors had a course on counterterrorism, which I had attended. So I asked the professor, hey, you know, like, you know, what can we do about this, right? And he's amazing because he has a, an amazing, he's actually a former volcanologist. His name is a, a Professor Jack Krasdowski of York University. And he uh, has a lot of experience with the U.S. military and uh, other organizations in a, a specific counterterrorism uh, research, right? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And he basically, you know, I'll never forget. He got up and he cl- locked the door and he said, you know, have you thought about doing a research paper? And uh, a research paper is not something we do in this field very often, right? So basically, long story short, we embarked on a journey where uh, we conducted 22 interviews and uh, did a very long literature review of how best to make mosques and the Muslim community feel safe. Mm. And uh, yeah, we published that uh, in 2018. And uh, after that, the city of Brampton recruited me into their lighthouse program where they were trying to do this sort of stuff for uh, different religious communities, churches, synagogues, uh, gurdwaras, right? And they've been very successful. And uh, and then as a result of that, I was uh, brought on, basically uh, one of the uh, police officers on that program uh, recruited me uh, to his own project, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, that's that's pretty much sort of the general story, gist of the story of uh, mm. uh, what's happened in the last couple of years. Yeah, so you uh, basically had an uh, innate desire to uh, help help out the community and uh, in, in whatever ways you could, and then this the degree in, in disaster and emergency management gave you sort of the practical tools to sort of go out in the world and actually do something about it. Which is great, man. I think uh, we need uh, we need a lot more people like you. I certainly found that within myself that I wanted to help people, but my my way is talking to people like yourself and uh, making uh, the knowledge available to people around the world so that they can benefit from it in one way or the other. But I really appreciate what you're doing, man. And congratulations on uh, whatever you've been able to accomplish so far. Wow, that's that's very flattering. I think I think the the work that is being done on you know talking to people, accumulating all this knowledge like you're doing, that's fantastic. That's you know that's actually how you help because what you're doing is that you're you're that important support backbone to all these other people in different fields who are trying to do this good work. And what you're trying to do is you're connecting them, and then you're also giving them motivation and inspiration, right? Uh, and that's really good. Pro- personal growth is probably one of my favorite things to read about. So yeah, uh, congratulations to you. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate that. So, uh, so after getting into uh, your your master's program, did you incur any challenges, like when you stepped out into the real world, or has it been a smooth ride? Absolutely, it's been a total smooth ride. You know, actually, <laughs> I'm co- I'm compared many times to Tom Cruise. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Probably, uh, unfortunately, like there's so much to learn that first couple years. Uh, yeah, I don't envy. I think every. I, I wish everybody the best of luck trying to do that and understand that it is a very difficult field to break into. In fact, in fact, there is no entry level position in this field. It really is more more or less. You have to like use a combination of networking and uh, making sure you can sell yourself very well, and uh, uh, really grinding your teeth on um, very uh, difficult scenario, difficult difficult scenarios, and that's that's just going to come with time, time and failure. Mm, that's an important lesson. So anyone who's interested in following this sort of path, they need to be prepared to face these sort of challenges. And so what you said when you were in the in the program, there's you had very little uh, or the program included very little like on the field experience. It was more more just uh, research and, and books. And and uh, when you step into the real world, that's when you really had to uh, like emotionally go through all, all these difficult experiences. Yeah, uh, I would totally agree to that. I think this field, um, unfortunately, yeah, the, the master's degree really does focus on. So the master's degree is sort of, uh, I was 
I was a little bit different because I was a lot younger than most people. Most people entering the master's degree were like from 26 to 30. They'd had four or five years of good field experience, right? Mm. And then they were into this sort of scenario, right? Uh, I was going straight from my bachelor's. So I didn't know anything, really, right? And I still don't know anything. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. um, so... What I, like what I what I would say is that um, this sort of, of education uh, it really prepares you specifically for um, policy advising and uh, you know sort of sort of the higher level decision making strategic level right so mm-hmm. it, 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 a lot of the things that I learned they don't really like apply at the incident like the you know the operational but you know um, when when all the mud is flying around right, right. Uh, it's it, it might not be the best mindset to have. Uh, however, that being said, it does give you a lot of insight and it has helped me immensely in a lot of places. But uh, I think the main the main point being that it's it's definitely got to be balanced with infield experience, and I think that's just that's just an expectation you have to have uh, in this field that you you have to balance sort of the practical and the uh, academic. Mm, that's true. That's uh, something that I. That I wish uh, even in in my program there was more of like more practical experience. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think this is something uh, for for the uh, educational institutions to work on in the future. And I mean, it's not actually that difficult to implement. Um, and it's not just and it's not just doing internships and stuff. I think there, there, if uh, we had like solid like you know in class training where um, let's so I've actually like I've actually I've actually thought a great idea would be let's have uh, an operations like an operation sort of module in classes where you have to actually go through the incident planning and stuff mm. like, like direct incident coordination, just do a simulation. Like, I mean, like, uh, you know, like, and I don't know, and you see this in many uh, movies and TV shows and, and police academies, right? Like where you'll see like, you know, them going through all these drills and stuff before they get graduated. Right. Right. I mean, that's, that's a really important thing about policing, right? That they, they actually take you through all that. So you have to figure it out. And then obviously policing, before you can get to any roles, you have to do four years on the road. That's kind of the rule, right? Mm. You gotta, so, like, you got to do your four years on the road. You got to put your time in. Yeah, um, that's a that's a great point. And so, so when you uh, got into like when you graduated, and uh, you were going through all these stressful situations, what were the uh, some of the things that you were doing to really keep yourself grounded and calm in, in difficult situations? Or what are some of the things that you do now? Because there's definitely a lot of a mud, like you said, flying out right now. And, um, and obviously everybody is either freaking out or, or anxious or panicking. So how do you like in, in that situation come in and keep everybody calm and, and keep yourself calm first of all? Yeah. Well, I think that, um, so, uh, when I went, when I went through uh, all this, uh, what I realized was that I actually needed to spend more time figuring out what was going wrong with me right because i think mm. so for the first six months of my job i thought i was going to get fired every single shift wow right i uh, know honestly um i actually walked into work every single day thinking that oh my god this is the last shift this is it i'm done right um and you know obviously it took some time to figure out what was going on but what i did is that i had to take a lot of active measures uh in order to figure myself out first of all most important thing is ask ask people who have experience in the field who Hmm. might be directly working with you right like how can i improve what's what am i doing wrong right and you know they will help you right uh and what's what's really good about that is that they will they'll make efforts to give you guidance and mentorship and guidance 
another thing what I did was that I actually uh, enlisted the help of a, a life coach. I actually went and, uh, you know, uh, got a life coach. His name is, uh, f- company's name is Focus 180. Mm-hmm. And uh, he basically specializes in uh, counseling and uh, training for Muslim uh, males, but also females. He does ma- females as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he basically trains them on how to do better in stressful situations, how to do better in their marriages, uh, how to um, uh, more effectively handle life. And uh, it's just growth and performance coaching. That's really good, man. Um, I certainly went, uh, I had a, I think a couple of coaches now for the past, in the last two, two yeah. three years, and they really help immensely. I think it's something that that is much needed in in whatever area of life that you're working on. You You deal with stress. And that's something you're not taught how to uh, how to solve in in uh, in university or in school. And I think it's great that the the personal growth is taking such le- making such uh, leaps and bounds in, in in the practical world now because we can use that and uh, basically help us uh, be better human beings and manage our stresses better. And I think beyond that, beyond that, yeah, like there was that, and also so he helps me focus everything, right? Hence mm-hmm. the name. Right. Right. But like, um, and so things like breathing methods, like the Wim Hof method. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, you do that too. So that yeah. that's really. Cool. Um, and then I also um, I also took it upon myself to invest in a uh, a couple a couple of things. So I took as many shifts as I could on day shift, right? Where mm. things were more hectic. Right. So I I work a rotating day and night shift schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I took as many shifts as I could. Like I always volunteered myself to do extra work. Because then that would basically break me enough that I would be able to figure out what's going on and how to get better at it. And mm-hmm. second of all, I actually uh, enlisted in a martial arts class. Uh, so I took uh, Krav Maga, the Israeli uh, martial art, which wow. uh, basically uh, trains you. Like you know, you have to, you are in stressful situations all the time, mm-hmm. and you got to learn how to physically interact. And you're doing all these you know uh, disarm drills and stuff like that, and you have to interact with guns and knives, right? And obviously, I'm probably the poorest student there. I'll be honest with you. I'm just <laughs> the worst student there because unfortunately it's a combination of uh me just being i'm i don't feel like i'm naturally good at it but also uh, my shift schedule doesn't allow me to go more than one class a week so mm. i mean but like the thing is it helped me immensely it really did and actually uh, in my recent annual performance review uh they actually mentioned that you know all these things that you're doing are having immense benefits uh, and there's a couple of things like speech training i went i, I did some vocal coaching as well mm-hmm. uh, there's this there's, there's a ton of things right uh, that yeah. you can and so pretty much the last year year and a half have been me just pushing as hard as i can to uh you know improve myself in pretty much every aspect of my life yeah that's uh that's great to hear man i'm actually really happy to hear that you're trying all these different things because i've been trying all these different things too and and they really do help so it's good to hear that um an old friend of mine is uh is involved in all these things so i'm happy to hear that a uh, quick question: Do you take? Uh, do you have you tried cold showers? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, so I think of uh, November last year, I mm-hmm. started taking cold showers. Every nice. Single day. And uh, yeah, they are absolutely. Yeah, actually, they're one of the biggest uh, things that have helped me with stress. And I, I find myself a different person. Uh, the the day is split into the time before the cold shower and the time after. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. I, like seriously, yeah, before a day of work, it's the best thing. Yeah, I agree. I just took a took a cold shower uh, before this, and uh, man, it it's uh, it just puts you in a different move somehow. Whatever the science behind it is, it just puts you in a different move. And uh, when I started doing it, I think it was almost six seven months ago. Um, that initially, when you do take a cold shower, it's 
it's sort of a stressful situation in your head, right? Because your body sort of cringes and you're like, oh my God, if I'm going to do it. And then you uh, through, learn through like doing breathing techniques like the Wim Hof and you learn to be calm in that situation. And I think that sort of helps you out too. No, it's fantastic. I, it's made such a big change on me. And uh, it's funny because I did do it many years ago. Mm-hmm. for about, about a period of about six months and mm-hmm. it worked really well but then a time of stress came on and i started taking hot showers again and you uh, know it, 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 obviously it, it wasn't a deciding factor right. but it certainly was something that uh was a contributing uh factor on uh trying to you know figure out what's like you know it, it was a contributing factor as to like what i feel was my decline mm. yeah. okay gotcha all right so let's uh let's head on to the i guess the elephant in the room um obviously the the coronavirus epidemic is happening right now around the world and um it's concerning for a lot of people and rightly so but um i see like i went to the grocery store yesterday and there were people stocking up on food and and toilet paper and buying all the um sanitizers that they could now is that is that something that, that you would expect to be a normal reaction or is that more of on a freaking outside? And, and if people are freaking out, are they rightly doing so? Like, is that something that's going to help them? Like, what do you, what do you recommend in this sort of situation and how people should really be, um, you know, handling this sort of situation, like that going to the grocery store and stocking up, is that something that's recommended in the, in this industry right now? Like what's going on? You know, it's interesting because, yeah, because uh, one of the things that you learn uh, as part of the education that you receive is that, uh, you know, when people talk about panic during an emergency, right, mm-hmm. like, you know, and this is this is an emergency, right? Right. People, like, you know, the media tends to say, oh, yeah, people are panicking, right? Right. I don't think people are panicking uh, by, uh, you know, going and getting stuff from, the, like, stocking up on the grocery store. Mm-hmm. They're doing They're doing what they themselves feel is best for you know themselves and the people that matter most to them right mm-hmm. your parent obviously like so you know a, a normal person is gonna ha- like a person is gonna have uh you know the survival instinct for themselves and the people they care mostly cl- closely about and then uh, a parent is gonna have even they're gonna have even higher for their child right the, the child is gonna be one step higher on that hierarchy right um and so they're doing the best the, what they think is best for their families with the information that they're being given, which is, uh, you know, we could be under quarantine for many weeks mm-hmm. uh, and uh, there's, you know, a high risk of infection, right? So it, it's, it's, to- it's totally understandable that people would do that. And that's mm-hmm. actually to be expected that people would like, you know, do that. If you're going to send out messages like that, which is why the WHO and CDC have been so careful about, like they took, they took, you know, it took many months to label it as a pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, since we discovered it in uh, December. So that's something that uh, really needs to be addressed. Uh, like, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, the, uh, the thing is they took their time and they made sure that they were right about it before declaring it as a pandemic. Because pandemic has very, very severe implications. There's only been a handful of times in world history where it's been declared. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is one of them. So it, it's... I think when you when you're talking about people going and you know, uh, you know, raiding shelves and stuff, obviously that that falls down to now we have to start implementing social controls and uh, trying to educate people better on what to do. Now, um, right now as it stands, uh, it seems that the situation will dictate that uh, we do need to be prepared for 
a shutdown for maybe a couple of weeks or mm-hmm. uh, uh, maybe a couple of months. We don't know. Right. We don't know. Like it's it's uh, there's a lot of different information flying out about predictions. But, yeah, it, it does seem that the general consensus within the medical community is that there is going to be a, a so, so sort of a different state of affairs for a couple of weeks. So it's understandable that people would be doing that. Uh, there has been a lot of negative consequences, like people have been stealing uh, gas masks uh, from hospital supply. Right. And uh, that is that is basically led to shortages in the hospitals where it's actually very much needed. Uh, a gas mask will not. Gas mask is not going to like. It's going to obviously make a difference, but it's uh, it's been deemed not as necessary for the public to have it as opposed to the medical community. Like the priority needs to be on the people in the medical profession who are you know dealing with this as it happens. And mm-hmm. uh, there uh, currently right now, unfortunately, the Ontario health system, the healthcare system, is even normally it's not really it's not it's always at capacity uh, unfortunately it's not really prepared to deal with the uh, you know outcomes of something like this right mm. uh, so it's it's something that they you, you need to be cognizant of right so like for for local communities and even homes like what are some of the preventative actions that we can take like in our homes or in our local communities to basically minimize risk and, uh, you know, navigate uh, through this uh, uh, situation safely? Like, what would you recommend to people who are in their homes or just in local communities? So I'm going to give you a very, just a brief uh, a snapshot of what's going on. Okay. Uh, so China obviously got uh, got this virus in December. We, we, from what I understand, that was the early warning, right? Mm-hmm. And what, what, what's happened is that different countries have had different responses. And we've seen that there's been a lot of differences, right? In the, uh, in what's the effect, right? And the problem is the effects might take four weeks to like the actions we take today might have four, four weeks to take an effect, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like in terms of you seeing what the consequences. So I'm going to give you a couple case studies. Uh, one is uh, in uh, Italy, right? And then mm-hmm. the other is in Taiwan. Okay. So Italy, right? They knew it was coming from very long. They took measures that uh, were not, not sufficient, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, what you've seen is that uh, the basically for them, those business as usual. As of March 12th, they've had 1,016 deaths in Italy. Wow. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and, and I, I, have, I have friends who are connected with people in Italy, and they're saying that the, you know, the entire situation's on complete lockdown. Uh, right now, you can, as, as a citizen, you can only go and get pharmaceuticals and uh, uh, go to the food stores, right? On the other hand, we have Taiwan. Taiwan is obviously, you know, it a state uh, like it is its own separate state, but it's technically part of China, right? Depending on who you ask. Taiwan is right next to China and mm-hmm. sees 2.7 million visitors from China per year, right? So, and it's right next to the epicenter, right, of mm-hmm. the virus. But Taiwan has only had 48 cases total right now, as of today. Wow. So, so compare the the numbers of 48 cases versus 116 deaths. So what's, what is Taiwan doing differently? Well, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Taiwan all implemented drastic measures early on, and they basically did full quarantine of the population. Uh, Taiwan had an action plan that was about 124, uh, like basically they had 124 action items that they needed to address right away, and they got, they got to work on it from day one. They had press conferences with uh, public health organizations uh, so so that the public could understand what was going on and they quarantined the whole population. I'm hearing reports of, uh, you know, even like 
uh, apparently police fine people who are breaking quarantine and mm. you have um you know uh, tracking of uh, tracking of people to make sure they don't leave their homes right and what's happened is that they've actually stayed relatively safe 48 48 cases total which is like outstanding uh, right. meanwhile meanwhile uh italy and iran they had a very like you know oh yeah like business as usual kind of thing right and mm-hmm. they're they're now basically going through some severe strain right now on their systems i have uh, people who i know who are working in iran who are um just going through a difficult time right now uh who are in in the field mm-hmm. and uh, along uh, and along with that like for example the united states unfortunately the, uh, so another statistics which is interesting the united states has 328 million people in its population mm-hmm. and They've conducted 11,000 tests total so far for coronavirus. South Korea, which has a population of 51 million, does 11,000 tests a day right now. Wow. So so the United States right now is severely underreporting, and unfortunately, each state has its own, like, you know, uh, they have their own thing that they do. Right. So there's there's a lack of um, there's a lack of cohesion in how they're addressing it. And uh, so that that's just so what it is, is that the main thing is quarantining and social isolation, which people are talking about a lot. It's very important because the main reason why this disease is so dangerous is because you get it and you have an incubation period of five to seven days. You don't know if you have it. This is a small update, guys. I've just been informed by Yunus Imam that the incubation period for the coronavirus is actually 14 days based on the uh, latest information and not five to seven days, which was the information uh, when we recorded our conversation. So once again, the incubation period for the coronavirus is 14 days based on the latest information. You don't know, the symptoms don't start to show up. You could have passed on to several other people and so on and so forth. So it's like, like, you know, let's say I got on, let's say I was in China and I got on a plane to um, Italy, right? Uh, I could have, like, you know, I could have spread it to several people who some of those people in an airport might have, might have gone to the United States or, you know, um, somewhere in South America and they spread it. And mm. uh, by the time they found out that I'm uh, like somebody who has COVID-19, the person in uh, the, the people in America will have already gotten it. Right. Mm. So you see how, how difficult it can be. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so the quarantine process is basically to, to limit the disease from spreading and then, so what happens, like, what's the goal of the quarantine apart from, uh, like, stopping it from spreading so fastly? So after three to four weeks or whatever the period is, like, what happens after it? Is it, is it uh, like, the time required for them to sort of come up with a vaccine or, or, or a cure? Or, like, what does quarantine do other, uh, essentially other than the fact that it helps uh, limit uh, the spreading of the virus? So right now we have a number of different uh, developments which are pretty interesting about a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so here's um, here's here's the so here's sort of I feel the timeline of this. Um, I, I look at the end of the day. I just want to advise you right now. I'm not a medical professional. I'm an emergency management professional. Mm-hmm. I'm connected with a lot of different medical professionals, and I get a lot of information from them. Mm-hmm. And I'm essentially just disseminating this information from them and from uh, all the different you know WHO. Uh, CDC uh, and uh, Public Health Canada. I'm essentially just repackaging that information in a way that the uh, public, you know, the people who may not might not be reached by those people, is getting uh, making sure that they can understand that. So, uh, just briefly, what it is is that uh, we're trying to make sure that um, 
basically those people who can recover from the disease can recover mm -hmm. and uh, sort of, uh, yeah, delay, delay the spread of the disease is basically the main point of it right now and just try to limit uh, the issues with it. Right now, actually, if you're young and healthy, you have a very good chance of doing just fine with the disease. Mm -hmm. uh, of, of all cases, I believe uh, in 14% uh, of cases, you require uh, hospitalization and 8% uh, of those cases are, uh, are critically ill, like people who are critically ill. So it's something under 20% uh, of cases where uh, you will be in trouble, right? Mm. So the thing is, there's actually a very good chance that we can uh, manage to contain this. And then uh, regarding the vaccine, I, I honestly don't feel comfortable uh, saying much about that because it's something that's not in my field. But I do know that there's many different private medical institutions and public medical institutions who are working furiously on a vaccine right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, it seems that there have been uh, some promising leads. Actually, uh, two universities in Canada have actually managed to I believe isolate parts of the virus, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's good uh, because it, it leads to, uh, it's the next step towards developing vaccines. And there are some reports that vaccines have been uh, created, but I honestly, I don't have the training or uh, I don't have uh, the discretion, I think, to make a judgment call on, oh yeah, there's a vaccine available. Uh, there, there probably will be a lot of uh, news reports being coming out in the coming days about whether a vaccine is available and whether it's viable, but uh, I can't really make a statement on that, unfortunately. Mm, gotcha. Well, thank you for sharing all that information. That certainly helps, I think, uh, put some, some context to a lot of what is going on. Um, because it is a global pandemic, you're getting news uh, from all over the world, and there's so many different sources, and some of them are viable, some of them are not. And my, my main intention was to get some information for, for Canada specifically. I know the Canada Public Health Services did put out um, like a report on, on their website. I'm looking at it now. And on the website, there are, they say that they are monitoring the situation. And like you said, people who are most at risk are, are could be 65 and over and who already have underlying medical conditions so if you're a young healthy adult you're probably fine yeah. um so yeah i think this uh this link i sort of checked yesterday i'm checking it now so things they're they're saying that uh that at this time public health agency of canada has assessed the public health risk associated with COVID 19 as low for the general population in canada but this could change rapidly so Right now, they're saying it's not bad, but obviously things can't change if we don't take uh, preventative action, uh, like you just mentioned in cases of Italy and, and, and the great example of, of Taiwan. Yeah. So I, I just, I, I do, before we do close on that, actually, I do want to, if, I, what I want to do is I just want to like go over just a couple of different things I may have missed. Um, okay. Like just personal, uh, so, okay, so um, I'm getting like quotes like, uh, you know, um, I'm getting I'm getting quotes from across like the different industries that I'm interacting with, mm -hmm. right? Um, so things like canceling events, closing workplaces, and working from home, uh, stocking up on prescription uh, medications, and all these other things. Uh, these things, a lot of people are saying, are actually this is exactly what we should be doing. It's not an overreaction at all. Mm -hmm. And the main thing is actually, uh, you yeah, if you're young and healthy, you might be fine but you might be passing it on to somebody who is at risk. So somebody with diabetes, 
heart disease, lung disease, uh, somebody who's over the age of you know 80, right? Uh, somebody who's uh, has some sort of pre-existing conditions. Uh, it's go- it's it's a very high likelihood that you might spread it to them if you're if you don't have it, right? Mm. So so make sure you obviously avoiding uh, physical contact, uh, making sure that uh, you're you know you're avoiding mass gatherings with lots of people packed in you know tight spaces, right? Uh, definitely don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just just making sure. And so then there's a lot of community organizations that are you know trying to deciding to cancel events. I'll tell you right now, there's lots of big corporations right now. Uh, in the downtown core, they're pretty much canceling everything, and they're all having everybody work from home. We have right. whole, like, we have very very large de- like departments of people who are, who are essentially uh, just moving to remote working now. So mm-hmm. this is serious. If if those businesses who you know their uh, their livelihood depends on having events or anything like that, they're they're pretty much canceling it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'd also. Uh, like to point out, so there's a lot of obviously we're both in the Muslim community, and mm-hmm. uh, both you know take on uh, you know the Juma prayers or the the Friday prayers or different big events, right? And there's lots of community organizations trying to make a decision on it, right? And uh, to be honest with you, many organizations are closing down every single event that they have and uh, closing down their mosques actually. And you know what? I'd I'd say that's the best case right now because there are doctors who are advising. They're saying, look. It might be it might be too much to cancel all these events, but it's the safest option possible. And mm-hmm. the actions we take right now to keep everyone safe, that's gonna have that's gonna decide whether this virus is gonna be an issue for weeks or an issue for months. Mm. And yeah, you're absolutely right. So the more precautionary measures that we can take, the better. And and not just for the Muslim community, same. Like we have pe- Christian people who go to church on Sundays. I guess it would, it would the same would be suggested for them, right? Because those are also big gatherings where people come together, and if we can limit those those for for however long we need to, like a few weeks, and so that we can benefit in the future, then I think that's the best course of action, like you said. Um, and just a, just a tiny point, sorry. And, and some mosques have actually said that they're going to have modified prayers with. Uh, basically there's going to be one or two spaces in between congregants and uh, it will be only so uh, for those of you who, who aren't Muslim uh, they uh, we typically we typically have prayers for 30 minutes mm-hmm. right on Friday and Friday and uh, uh, now a lot of places are shortening prayers to about 10 minutes mm-hmm. this unfortunately many medical professionals have said this is not enough uh, in fact it should be cancelled altogether because there's still high risk right, right? so uh, the, the, I, that would be some advice I would provide only because everything that I'm providing has already been vetted by uh, the medical professional profession and uh, people who are experts in that field. I'm not, I'm trying, I'm trying my best that, you know, if I put my own opinion, I try to, you know, stay away from that because uh, at the end of the day, I don't have any, that, uh, any of that training. Right. Okay. Well, I think you've provided a lot of valuable information and definitely given some clarity. So anyone who listens to this, and um you know who's thinking about going to a religious gathering or or anything maybe they'll think twice about it and um um, you know take care of themselves and uh uh, people around their community so thank you Eunice, for sharing your opinion on this i really do appreciate it it's definitely given me some more clarity and um yeah man thank you for all the work you're doing i'm sure you have some uh some busy weeks ahead of you right (laughs) 
Oh yeah, you know, I think, um, uh, well, I don't know, it depends because uh, I, th- I think there's a lot of factors right now flying around mm-hmm. and we're in, we're in a time of uh, great uncertainty, but uh, I do want to assure people that every action is being taken, but the only dif- the only thing that, ma- that matters is that whether you take the actions that are necessary to protect yourself and protect the people around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the information that's being provided by uh, these different organizations like Public Health Canada, you should definitely take that into account and, you know, you make the best decision for yourself. But this is, it's sort of a weird problem because it's a problem that requires all of us as a society to work together to protect each other. Mm. And uh, we all, and you know, it's, you know, obviously the way we like to think about it is that, you know, it's an action movie and we have to beat the bad guy up. But, (laughs) uh, you know, unfortunately this, um, unfortunately this is the kind of uh, emergency with the exact opposite where, it's the most frustrating thing which is you know we have to all sit still for a while yeah yeah it'll be a, a challenging time for sure in the next uh next few days weeks however long it is but i just want to thank you for for everything you've uh, shared so far and everything you're doing in the communities and so we're reaching towards the uh, towards the end of our episode so I want to ask you, I mean, you've shared a lot of messages uh, already, but I usually ask one of my guests to share a message from their heart. And it's, it really has to do with people who are trying to pursue a similar career as to uh, what, what you have done and what you are doing. And uh, they're probably maybe uncertain. You can think about a time when you were uncertain while you were still pursuing your career. And what sort of message would you give to them at that point? I'm somebody who, you know, naturally gets very scared of a lot of things. And mm-hmm. uh, I've learned, uh, you know, working with uh, all the different police officers and working in the industry that I work in, that if, uh, if you want to grow, uh, you need to face what you're scared of. And if something like uh, the rule I have now, a lot of times is if something scares you, uh, definitely go for it, right? If something scares you, you should, you should actually face that challenge because it's the best way to grow. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, oftentimes, uh, it requires you to uh, humble yourself and, uh, you know, you go through, you know, what might be humiliating, but uh, it will be good in the long term. And, you know, uh, I think Gary Vaynerchuk has a really good point. Uh, he says, uh, there's no, like, the only game is the long term game, right? Don't even think about the short term game because, you know, uh, you need to think, you always need to think, you know, a couple of years ahead, where is this experience going to put you? Mm. That's what I would share. And that's a that's a powerful message. Thank you for sharing that. And so, um, before we go and sign off, what's one place people can reach out to you and find you if they have any questions or if they just want to connect with you and say uh, say hi? Uh, so yeah, you can um, you can reach out to me. Uh, I'm actually I am on Facebook. I don't have like a I'm not I don't I wouldn't consider myself a public figure, but you can definitely follow me on Facebook. Uh, we do have uh, so the Salam Project. Our in- intelligence team has a page uh, where we disseminate uh, advisories to the public, uh, just safety information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's called uh, the uh, Salam Project, and Salam is spelled S A L A M. Uh, and yeah, you'll just find it. And it's basically uh, uh, I'll, I'll give you the link to it. Uh, it's essentially okay. just a platform that you can just learn, you know, what, what are the best measures, uh, everything from, uh, obviously the focus is on security and, you know, having lockdown, lockdown procedures doing during a violent incident and making sure you're, you're safe yourself. But mm-hmm. obviously because of my emergency management background, anything that is of threat to you, whether it be, you know, a fire or different issues with the weather or the coronavirus itself, 
we try to make sure we provide as much value to people as possible. And we're always, if any organizations who are listening who want to get us for a training, uh, we're happy to come and provide that. We also do security auditing for a very wide client base. And we, we actually work with a lot of different uh, police agencies on uh, developing our training and making it better. We, uh, we have a new mental health uh, module that we've just developed, it's really great. Uh, we've also gotten, um, we also have uh, contacts with, uh, uh, if you want cheaper first aid kits for your big organization, we, we have access to all of those. Wow, that's awesome, man. So the Salam Project, it, that's a Facebook page where you basically release uh, some free information on what to do in crisis situations. Yeah, um, better, better ways to protect yourself and keep yourself safe. Yeah. All right, awesome, man. Uh, I'll put the link when I put the episode out, and I'm sure a lot of people will be interested in that. Uh, thank you for, for sharing that uh, with us, and uh, thank you for being on the show, man. I really appreciate it, and I learned a lot. Brother Moyne, it's always a pleasure, sir. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in to this edition of the Grow With Moon podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to my show so that you don't miss a future episode. Feel free to leave a rating, a comment. If you want to follow me on social media, my Instagram is the Grow With Moon podcast. Once again, thank you and enjoy the rest of your day.